a few short passages from Mark's Gospel. Chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? And then shall we read in chapter 8, From verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Take heed, aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they discussed it with one another, saying, We have no bread. And being aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then again he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. 
And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. Now, this evening we come to a quite large portion of this gospel according to Mark from the 35th verse of chapter 4 to the 30th verse of chapter 8. Quite a sizable portion of this um, gospel. And I have entitled it The Training of the Disciples for Service by the servant of the Lord, or by Christ. Um, as I have already said, I have had some difficulty over it, not um, as to what is contained within the, um, uh, this passage, this section. There is a tremendous amount in it, far more than I ever thought was within this section of God's word. I have simply marveled at it. But it has been in the um, putting of it down into black and white and concise note form that I have had all the uh, problem and difficulty. And even now, the notes I'm speaking uh, from will not be what you get, I trust. Um, finally, we'll just trust the Lord to make it quite clear and plain what is within this section. For this section... And the last section of this division of Mark, the Lord at work, are, I suppose, two of the most important parts of the gospel according to Mark. Certainly, if you and I are going to understand anything about serving the Lord, what it means to be a servant of the Lord, what it means to be in his service. This section that we are considering this evening, the training of uh, the disciples for God's service, consists of some of the most extraordinary and outstanding miracles that Christ ever performed. I don't think really there is one of the miracles here recorded in this section which is not outstanding. We have two cases of storms at sea. One at which he was asleep in the boat and uh, he uh, silenced the waves, the wind, and brought a great calm. And the other, just as remarkable, he walked on the sea and would, as if he would pass them by. We have two cases of great multitudes being fed. One case of 5,000 men being fed alone, and in the other case, 4,000 people being uh, fed from just one person's lunch, really. Uh, two quite extraordinary and uh, singular uh, miracles. Then we have the most extreme case of demon possession. Uh, a man that uh, was, uh, we call him the Gerasene demoniac, that's what we call him, but the poor man was someone who was of tremendous strength and they used all the old forms of mental treatment, which was 
to weigh him down with huge fetters and chains and isolate him. They used to do that up to 50 years ago, of course. Um, they did precisely that with him. His home was the mountainsides, uh, isolated places, or the tombs, uh, the, out, the, the, the graveyards. Um, when the Lord Jesus met him, you will remember that he told the evil spirit within him to come out, and when he asked for its name, it said its name was Legion, because there were so many of them. With him. It was an extraordinary case. Now, all the way through the, the Gospel according to Mark, we have cases of, of deliverance from demon possession or oppression. But in this case, we have a singular instance that is uh, quite uh, unique uh, in uh, this whole Gospel. Then, of course, we have a case of death, a little girl dying. Uh, the funeral arrangements were in hand. They evidently thought she was dying, so they must have put the funeral arrangements in hand. Of course, in the Middle East, you normally uh, bury a person within hours. I never forget when our doctor died in uh, Egypt. Um, he died at nine o'clock and was buried at three o'clock the same day. That's what you've got to do in the, in the East. Even so, they must have guessed that the little girl was really dying. There was ho no hope for her. When her father, who was president of the synagogue, went along to the Lord Jesus and asked him to come because it says that she was on the point of death. And you know the Lord got delayed on his way there by the little lady with the hemorrhage and uh, the result was that the baby died and the funeral arrangements, the girl, not baby, the girl died, she was 12 years of age, she died and the funeral arrangements were in hand by the time the Lord got there. The professional whalers were all in full blast and uh, it was all going ahead for the funeral. Now, you might well say that a case of actual death is something quite extraordinary. It is the first case, at least in the Gospel according to Mark, where we find the Lord raising a dead person. Then, of course, we have the woman with the issue of blood, and this is not generally understood. For 12 years she'd suffered from this incurable hemorrhage. Now, according to Leviticus, and chapter 15, from verse 25 to 27, you will discover that such a hemorrhage uh, made her uh, unfit uh, for worship in the temple, fellowship in the synagogue, or any kind of normal social life. So this little lady was, in fact, virtually an outcast, e even from her husband. She couldn't share the same bed. Um, so, uh, we don't generally understand that, just what it meant to this little lady. For 12 years she had suffered this thing. For 12 years she hadn't been able to go up to the feasts in the temple. For 12 years she had never been able to go into the synagogue and hear the word of God or worship with the people of God. And for 12 years she'd had no normal social life. That's why, by the way, she came up behind the Lord. Because she knew very well that being a prophet, as she thought, he might spot that she was... Um, defiled or ceremonially unclean and that would make him, if she touched him, he would be. So she came up behind him, expressly says so. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his uh, garment. So it was, in fact, a quite extraordinary uh, case. It is also interesting, just in passing, that Jairus' daughter was 12 years of age and this lady had had this trouble for 12 years. I mean, the whole time that the child had lived to the point she died, this lady had had this trouble. Rather an interesting little aside. Coincidence, perhaps. 
then, of course, we have other cases also uh, um, that are quite extraordinary. We have, for instance, the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile and nothing to do with the people of God. She was a heathen. But uh, you remember her, the story of how she came. And this is another extraordinary case because the Lord cast out an unclean spirit from her child at a distance. They have no, no case of that again in the Gospels of the Lord doing that from a distance. He just said... Your child, your, your child, your daughter is healed. The, the spirit has left her. That's all. He never even said a word. That's all he said. She's gone. She went back and found her daughter uh, sane and sound. And then we have two other quite extraordinary cases of healing which are both unique to the gospel according to Mark. One, of course, is the, the uh, healing of the deaf and dumb man uh, he evidently could make strange noises because his dumbness was due to his deafness. He was stone deaf. And we have um, a rather unusual uh, way that the Lord dealt with him. Quite, in fact, quite unique to the, all the Gospels. The Lord never dealt with anyone else that we have on record like he dealt with that man. And then we have, finally, the blind man um, whom the Lord we read took out from the village and again the Lord um, uh, dealt with him in a way that he hadn't dealt with others. Maybe both cases were more difficult, more involved, more complex than normal. So in this section we have a number of the most extraordinary and outstanding miracles uh, that Christ performed. All of them took place um, in Galilee or in the immediately surrounding district of Galilee. We don't know whether all of them took place at the same time. I, 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 that, of course, is obviously greatly disputed. It could well have been over a, a year or more. But uh, some of them you'll see are in groups. You'll, if you read through carefully, you'll see that. Well, anyway, there we are. We've got these extraordinary miracles. Mark has selected uh, them, these particular incidents, with very great care to show how Christ was seeking, as the servant of the Lord, to train his disciples to share that service with him. Now, in this particular section, Mark has very definitely selected these incidents, not only carefully, but he's even given thought to the way that um, uh, the order in which we have them, which is a little unusual. For instance, there is an unmistakable building up to the last section in chapter 8 from verse 27 to 30 where you have the great confession of Peter by divine revelation, thou art the Christ. The whole of this section builds slowly up to that great confession by Peter. It's the great climax not only of this section, but it is the turning point of the whole gospel. Well, now, just let's take the gospel, if you will, at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. This section, which contains, I suppose, the most fundamental and vital lesson about service that you and I 
can learn, begins with a, a great storm. Now note this, a great storm into which Christ deliberately <coughs> led his disciples. This was no mistake and it was no coincidence. Neither is it a coincidence that Mark starts this section with a great storm. It's the introduction to all the other incidents that he has selected from a very much larger number. The Lord Jesus deliberately led these disciples into that storm. And furthermore, we are told only by Mark, it's a detail that we find only in this gospel, there were many other boats with them. When they saw the Lord and the twelve set out, others all put to sea with them and uh, went over. Uh, or were made to go over to the other uh, side. It, um, it was a storm which not only nearly sank the ship, and I suppose the others that were with them, but when the Lord finally awoke and stilled the storm, it brought the most querying astonishment on the part of the disciples. Who then is this? Now that's the key to the whole section. Who then is this? They really had no idea. In spite of the fact that they'd been with him for quite a while, in spite of the fact that they were sharing his life, sharing his ministry, they were absolutely astounded by this incident in the storm and uh, uh, what it, it means. Now, I might say this right here and now, that if any of us are going to follow the Lord and are going to be his servants, we are going to find ourselves in many a storm. And sometimes we're going to find that there's a sleeping Christ with us in the storm. He just isn't awake. He isn't active. He's asleep there on the cushion in the boat with us in the storm. Why then did the Lord lead them into this storm? Surely it was to bring them to a tremendous discovery. But they didn't understand it. It was that they might discover just who he was, who he was, what he was capable of doing, that they were more safe with him in the storm than in a ship without him and calm sea. That's how this section begins. A great storm. If you're going to serve the Lord, the one thing you have, I have got to learn is how to weather storms. Endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Oh, the first sign of a storm, and some people clap like a pack of cards. They just can't bear. They all talk about serving the Lord, all talk about witnessing, all talk about uh, preaching, all talk about really getting out and doing something, the glamour of it, the romance of it, the activity of it, and all the rest of it. But the first sign of a real storm, and they're gone. You and I have got to learn how to weather storms. 
Now, a bit later, we'll come to the key to that, uh, as to how we can weather a storm. Then, then uh, Mark takes us through a number of miracles, many miracles, in fact, which, although the disciples saw and were, in fact, involved in with him, they did not understand. If you'll take chapter 4, verse 41, well, we read that. They were filled with awe and said, one to another, who then is this? Or again, chapter 6, verse 51 and 52, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And then again in uh, chapter um, uh, 7 and verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? This was to the twelve. Are the, you then also without understanding? And chapter 8 and from verse 17 to 21, why do you discuss the, the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? In the last verse, 21, he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Mark leads us through a whole selection of tremendous incidents, tremendous miracles and incidents. And the thing he puts his finger on is that they just, although they saw these miracles, although in fact they more than saw them in certain cases, they were intimately involved, they never understood. They never understood. We can say, of course, that throughout this whole section, uh, Mark is at great pains to show us that no one understood. Um, he, 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 uh, he's telling us about all kinds of people, the general public and everyone else. He, he continually tells us about their, um, their astonishment. For instance, in Mark chapter 5, verse uh, 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right man, the man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from the neighborhood. And then uh, chapter 5, same chapter, verse 42, and immediately the little girl got up and walked, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were overcome with amazement. And then again in chapter 6, verse 2, chapter 6 and verse 2, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get all this? What's the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? And verse 6, and he, that's Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. They recognized the mighty uh, works. They recognized the tremendous wisdom, but they did not believe. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, chapter 7, verse 37. Chapter 7, verse 37. 
And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. They saw the signs. They saw the mighty acts. They marveled, and yet they did not understand. Now, just think about that for a moment. They did not understand. Well, even if Mark does try to point out to us that the others uh, reacted like this, I think that the, 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 the thing that comes home to us with greatest force is when we find the disciples not understanding. We expect the outsiders and the general crowd uh, to be mystified or just to, to look at the great acts and miracles and see no further. But the disciples, that they should not understand, those who are nearest to Christ, those who've been called by him personally, those who've been appointed to be with him in his service, that they should not understand, that is extraordinary. Many times they were themselves in, involved in miracles of no small dimension. For instance, Mark chapter 5 and verse uh, 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James and John. So Peter, James and John went into that dead death room with the Lord Jesus and they actually saw with their own eyes they were, they were involved in a miracle of no small dimension. Or, or again, um, uh, there is... Uh, chapter 6 and verse 41. Chapter 6 and verse 41. Here is the feeding of the 5,000. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So can you imagine? They were actually involved. There was the Lord taking the bread, breaking it and giving it to them and giving it to them. And they were coming uh, backwards and forwards, taking it from him, taking it from him, taking it from him. I mean, they knew very well they'd only given him five loaves and two fishes, yet they were coming up and going back and coming up and going back and coming up and going back until the whole crowd were satisfied. They didn't just, they weren't just spectators of miracles. They were involved in miracles of, of, of great proportion. Sometimes they, uh, uh, they were the subject of a miracle. It wasn't just that they were involved, they were the actual subject of it. For instance, in the storm, they were in the boat. They were the ones who woke up the Lord and said, Lord, don't you care, we're perishing. And they saw him just say a few words to the winds and the waves and the whole thing become a calm. They, they, they were the subject of a miracle. The other time they saw him walking on the water. Now in this uh, gospel, uh, we're not told that Peter said, let me come to you, Lord. But we know that that was the occasion when Peter said, call me to come to you, Lord. And he walked on the water. It was no small miracle. Not only was the Lord walking on the water, but Peter, one of his disciples, walked on the water too. Defied the very force and law of gravity. They, they, were, they sometimes were the actual subjects of the miracles. Sometimes, now listen to this, they, um, they worked miracles themselves. At a distance from Christ. Now, you would have thought, now, that's it. That's it. 
If they can work miracles apart from Christ, when I say apart from Christ, at a distance from him, in his name, then surely they've understood. Surely they've got hold of the secret. The Lord doesn't let anyone work a miracle, surely, unless they see right through to the heart of the matter. But look at it. Chapter 6, verse 7 to 13, he called to him the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except for staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. In other words, great authority, great faith. They went out absolutely dressed as they were. That was faith. And uh, great success. Verse uh, 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now think of that. They were not only involved in miracles as well as spectators of them. They were not only the subject of miracles, but they worked miracles themselves. Yet in spite of all that, they not only did not understand, but their hearts were hardened. Now, isn't that extraordinary? That comes after this. They're, they did not understand, but their very hearts were hardened. Now, surely it is not without very real significance that when um, Mark comes to the end of this section that we're considering, he gives us one discourse, and you know, Mark gives very few of the discourses of Jesus. He gives us a discourse, and then he gives us four miracles. The discourse he gives us is all about the heart. It arose out of a question which um, the Lord was asked by the, by the Pharisaic scribes, the scribes of the Pharisees, probably the old investigating commission still, that had been sent to watch him. And they said, look here, how is it that your disciples eat with unwashed hands? We have a little explanation of what that means. The Jews never eat anything without first ablutions. Wash their hands and wash everything else as well. And uh, they are. And then the Lord said to them, it's not what comes out, uh, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. And the, 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 the disciples just couldn't understand him. So when they got him on his own, they said, what did you mean? He said, do you not understand? Are you without understanding? And then he said, now listen. It's not what goes into a man that can defile him. Because what goes in, that's food, goes out of him. But it is what is inside of him, what comes out of the heart of man that defiles him. And then he went through a whole list of things. In other words, it's the heart which is... The heart is, is the secret of it all. That's why the Lord said when he spoke to Solomon of old, give my son, give me thy heart. If I can get the heart 
and create a new heart, a clean heart, I've got everything. Their hearts were hardened. And a little later on, when we come almost to the end of this section, the Lord says to them, Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do you not hear? It is surely extraordinary that Mark takes this discourse and puts his finger on the heart. And then he goes, he gives us three miracles and one that's, in a sense, a repetition. The feeding of the 4,000. Now, the first of these miracles, the Syrophoenician woman, you will find in uh, uh, chapter uh, 7, from verse 24 to, to verse 30, is surely an example of a heart that wasn't hardened. You know, the Lord's words were very, very severe to that little lady. She came quite away, evidently, and said, Lord, she said she found out where he was, although he was supposed to be hidden. She found that way, and she begged him to heal her daughter. And he said to her these words, let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now I suggest that if that lady had not got a very open heart, it should have been hardened I can imagine that a number would be deeply offended if the Lord said that. You, you would never think, you'd think, he wouldn't say it to me, of course. But if he, by perchance, were to say such a thing to you, I can imagine the offence it would cause. Whew. The children! My little daughter in trouble. Supposed to be so loving, compassionate, available to everyone. And I went to him. And all he said was, the children must first be fed. It's not right to take the food for the children and throw it to dogs. Don't mind him calling me a dog, but my little girl. But it was an example of a heart that was not hardened, but was open. Why, she came straight back at him. And this is what she said, listen, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I suggest that's a very Jewish answer. <laughs> She came straight back at him and said, that's all right, that's all right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs under the children's table. Right, the Lord said, for that saying, your child is here. Now, isn't, why did the Lord say that? For that saying. Not surely. Well, for that witticism. No, he didn't mean that. He meant because it reveals a heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That woman's heart is open. It won't be hard. Now, is it not extraordinary that Mark brings that there after that discourse about the heart? And then what is the second thing? A case of a man who was deaf and dumb. Of course, it's a physical thing. Let's not uh, spiritualise it in the wrong way. It was a, it's a tremendous miracle. Uh, he was a complex case with no doubt a long medical history. What did the Lord do? Well, surely Mark had something more than even just the fact that the man got his hearing back and therefore spoke plainly, because that was in itself a miracle. Man had never heard uh, language, so for him to be able to immediately speak plainly was quite a miracle. 
But surely Mark meant us also to understand this. It's a question not only of the heart but of the ears. And many people who cannot take part or open their mouth, it's because they're not hearing. Dumbness is connected with deafness. What does the Lord do? He perseveres with this man. He perseveres with him. He didn't just say a word and it was done. It was quite a complex question. That's exactly what he was doing with these disciples, wasn't it? They were just like this deaf and dumb man. When they did open their mouths, as we say, they put their foot in it. But they had just begun to hear. Something was going in for the first time. And the Lord persevered with them. That's the thing. He actually persevered with them. So I say that that is quite extraordinary. And then we have, of course, the feeding of the 4,000, which is uh, rather like the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but the Lord brings this all out later when he says to them in uh, this chapter uh, 8 and uh, uh, from verse 11 to 21, um, the Lord sort of says, now look here, don't you remember the feeding of the 5,000? Don't you remember the feeding of the 4,000? Twice this lesson has come to you, and twice you've not understood it. Are your hearts hardened? Having ears, do you not hear? Don't you remember what I did with the deaf man? Or eyes you don't see, and that leads us to the final miracle which is of this man who didn't see now we have this is the only case of its kind in the whole gospel um, of a man who when the lord laid his hands on him began to see but only partially he said i see men as trees walking and the lord laid his hands on him again the second time it's the only case we have in the whole of the bible the lord laying his hands on someone twice and the second time he looked intently and saw clearly. It's another amazing picture of those very disciples. When, when Peter, a little later, said, Thou art the Christ, it was as if he was seeing him as a tree walking. For the first time he saw dimly, partially, but for the first time he saw the Lord had to lay his hands, as it were, on, on those disciples a number of times, and they had to look intently before they saw clearly. But thank God the Lord persevered as he did with that man. He persevered with Peter, he persevered with the others, until finally they saw fully and clearly. It took all of Calvary and all of Pentecost before they saw fully and clearly. But finally they saw. And then, of course, you come to this climax of the whole of this section, this great cry of, uh, of Peter, thou, thou art the Christ. Put in its simplest way here in, uh, in um, Mark. Very simply put. We don't have it as in Matthew much more fully. Just thou up the cry. Now isn't it, isn't it rather wonderful that this section begins with a storm and ends with vision? 
begins with a storm and ends with vision. It ends with an open heart, not a hardened heart, a hearing ear, not a deaf ear, a seeing eye, not a blind eye. Now listen, when the Lord takes your spiritual education and training in hand, you and I will have to go through some very deep waters, many a storm to go through, many a storm. And the whole objective of the storm is to bring us to see who the Lord really is and what is ours in him, our eternal safety and security in him. Some people, when they've come to the Lord and beheld the Lamb of God who's borne away the sin of the world, their first cry is, Lord, I want to see more. Show me more. You don't know what you ask. You don't know what you ask. You say, Lord, I've heard your voice. I would always hear your voice and be obedient to your voice. Let me hear your voice more, Lord. You don't know what you're asking. Thank God the Lord takes our education in hand. Thank God he always takes us at our, at our word. Takes us on. But there's many a storm we have to go through before we see. Now there may be some of you, you thought you'd see, you thought that you'd seen the Lord. You thought that everything was clear to you, but now you're in a storm. Everything's shaking. Everything's all over the place. It's all gone to pieces. All your beautifully worked out pigeonhole doctrines and everything else have been shaken to pieces. You don't really know where you are or what's happening. Don't fear. This is exactly what the Lord always does when he's training for something. He's bringing you through things that could alienate you, a kind of self-taught knowledge to a deep inward experience of Christ as life and all. As the very bread of life. As everything. If you and I could only see that, We'd understand much more. We all want to be servants of the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. But we don't understand that the Lord has to put us through the mill often in order to bring us to this place where um, we've, uh, uh, we've seen something. It's, um, it's tremendous when you come finally to this uh, part here uh, uh, to where it concludes in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to verse 30 with Peter's confession, um, which was given by divine revelation, by the Spirit. It is um, quite extraordinary. Uh, the disciples, as it were, had begun to see men as trees walking. Uh, they had begun to see who Christ was. They had begun to see his calling. They had begun to see his anointing. It would take everything else of Calvary and Pentecost before they really came through to a clear and full understanding. Now, that's this whole section, bird's eye view of it. Mark selected these incidents, as I have said, to show us how Christ was seeking to train his disciples for God's service. But... What was their training? What was the curriculum? 
Here we make a tremendous discovery, and it is the lesson of this section. It was not a training in mere methods or technique or know-how in preaching or healing the sick or deliverance from demon possession, however scriptural or right. It was not a training in, in that uh, at all. For, as we have learnt from their mission in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 to 13, um, uh, they were eminently successful in that already. The methods, the technique, the formula, they were eminently successful. They'd gone all over the villages in the name of the Lord, casting out demons, healing the sick, anointing them first with oil. Then what was their training? Huh. If that was the objective of their training, they were well qualified, as their tour, their successful tour, proved. But it was not. The objective of their training was to bring them to a basic and progressive discovery of Christ himself. That was the object of the whole of their training. I suggest that that is the biggest and most shattering lesson that any child of God can learn. A basic and progressive discovery of Christ himself. There are many of us who think we've discovered Christ and we haven't discovered him. We're called we're appointed to be with him. We call him by his name. We speak to him. We do things in his name. And we don't really understand the first thing about our Lord. It's when we come to a, a deep and, and real discovery of the Lord Jesus that somehow we're absolutely devastated and shattered. We're like people dead. No one can serve the Lord, I say, until he or she comes to that place. What is it a discovery of? It's a discovery of his person. Who is Jesus? Oh, many of us, we know the doctrine, we know the creed. But who really is Jesus? Have we ever really known in our spirit who he is? Has it ever really dawned upon us the majesty of his person, the greatness of, the, of his person? Who he is? Have we ever discovered his calling and anointing? Oh, that's the key to everything. His calling and anointing. We wander around, you know, trying to do this and doing that. We do this little bit of work and that little bit of work, this little bit of service and that little bit of service. We don't really see what his calling is and his anointing. What is the anointing of the Lord? Thou art the Christ, said Peter. We all take that as a very trite title of Jesus, as if it was his surname, Jesus Christ. But Christ means thou art the anointed one. The anointed one. What does it mean? To discover his calling and his anointing. Why has God anointed Jesus? 
For what is he anointed? We know he's anointed for the saving work. The work of Calvary. But oh, is he not anointed to make real that work? It has all the fullness of the work, the full extent of that work. And much more. He is anointed to fill the throne of God. He is anointed to regather into himself all that has been lost for God. To restore everything that has been stolen from God. This is the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring everything into captivity to himself again. Making his enemies the footstool of his feet. And finally yielding up the throne to God. When he has done it all. That's the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's cosmic in its, in its significance. It reaches to the end of time and beyond to the ends of eternity, if there's such a thing, of course. <laughs> Shall we say the farthest reaches of eternity? That's how far it goes on. If we could only understand his calling, his anointing, if we could discover his authority, if we could um, understand his character, discover his character. We speak about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but oh dear, how far sometimes it is from the truth. You don't know what we're talking about. Lord Jesus can be as firm as iron and as, as destructive as fire. as gentle as a dove, as a little lamb, and as strong as a lion. If we only knew the character of the Lord Jesus, we could only discover him what he really is like, get to know him, find out by his dealings with us and with one another what he is like, his character and nature. If those disciples were to share his service, to become servants of the Lord with him, then it had all got to flow out of a living, intimate relationship to himself. That is the first great lesson of service. You can preach and preach and preach. You can study and study and study. You can pray and pray and pray. You can sing as much as you want. You can witness as much as you want. You can work as much as you want to work. But if it doesn't flow out of a living, intimate, continuous relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it is not true service and it's not divine service. Apart from me, he can do nothing. But my dear friends, thousands of people are doing a lot of things apart from him. There's an awful lot of preaching that he knows nothing about. And much else. But the Lord Jesus said, essentially, as far as God is concerned, my Father's concerned, apart from me you can do nothing. Christ was not satisfied that they should just see so many mighty and God-glorifying works, nor even that they should themselves be able to perform some of them. He longed that they might see who he was and what he was. And then in full identification and cooperation with him, enter into his service. So all of his dealings with them in this training period 
were to lead them to this one point when Peter, as spokesman for them all, said, Thou art the Christ. I'm sure that the whole of heaven sighed. They must have watched, looking at it rather imaginatively, they must have watched and watched and thought, what a bunch. Look at them. What more can he do? What more can he do? These tremendous acts, these tremendous... They don't understand. They're as blind as blind can be. And finally those faltering words came out of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Heaven said, oh, at last. At last. I sometimes think that's how heaven reacts to you and me. Certainly our guardian angels do. Well, I'm quite sure. Oh, they think, at last. It's only the beginning, of course. Peter had to fall away to really discover Christ. To go through some deep, deep ways before finally they came where they should. Well, it's in that basic recognition and discovery of Christ voiced by Peter when he said, Thou art the Christ, that everything lies. And that's why Matthew tells us that that discovery would lead to Christ as the rock out of which everything would be quarried and upon which everything would be built that was of God. Out of that discovery would come the giving of the keys of the kingdom. Nothing less than that. It's a tremendous discovery to make, you know, when finally we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and find that he is the anointed one. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 61, one cannot help but feel that these verses were fulfilled in, these, in this very section we've been considering in Mark. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a garland for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations, and so on. It seems to me that that great cry, great confession of Peter. Thou art the Christ includes all that, even if he didn't realize it. The one who had come from God uh, to do just this, anointed by the Lord for all that. Now, what is the lesson for us as far as we are concerned? Well, it is this. It's the same lesson they had to learn. There's only one simple but vital lesson here. 
And it is that the basis of all true service springs from a living relationship to Christ himself. An initial and progressive discovery of him by the Spirit. Apart from such a knowledge of the Lord, there can be no service. Now, there's such a lot more we could say. But perhaps we could put it like this. Our spiritual education and training is essentially bound up with seeing and following Christ. In the final analysis, how utterly simple are all the really great things. Follow me. Now, it's, you know, when, the, when we think of it, the Lord saying, coming to us and saying, follow me, there can be a glamour about it, there can be a romance about it, there can be a kind of <coughs> theological beauty about it, if you like. But when, you're, when the Lord starts to take us through the practical ways of following him and being shaved of everything else that would take his place, we don't like it. This section is just what it means to follow him. Lord will go to very great lengths uh, to bring us to such a place of seeing and following. Tremendous lengths the Lord will go to to bring us to if once we've committed ourselves to him. It's a solemn fact that, um, and I think we should take note of it, that we can be involved in the work of God. We can be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his work and in his purpose. We can live in the midst of miracles. We can hear the word of God and yet be spiritually blind to the real and full significance behind it all. The whole of the Bible is filled with cases of people who saw things, heard things, were involved with things, were associated with great movements of God's Holy Spirit and yet never really understood. That's why the children of Israel murmured and murmured and murmured. Didn't they see the Passover night? Of course they did. Didn't they see the exit? Of course they did. Hadn't every one of them seen the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire? Of course they had. Hadn't they gathered manna? Every one of them had. Day by day, except on the Sabbath. Hadn't they drunk a water that came miraculously out of a rock? Every one of them had. They wouldn't have been alive. Didn't they see Mount Sinai smoking with flame and cloud? Yes, or yet they didn't understand. They saw the acts of God, but his ways they did not understand. Again and again and again. Oh, you can go through the whole of the Bible and you'll find it. In the end, out of the Lord's ministry, out of all these thousands that were fed and healed and delivered from demons and much else, there were 120 people finally 
120. And they were pretty blind. Until the Holy Spirit came to them. But isn't that tremendous when you really uh, think uh, uh, about it? Well, there we are. Let's just say this. If we would truly serve God, if we would share the service of Christ, then by the Spirit we've got to discover who he is. And much more than that, we've got to find out what his calling and anointing means, what his position and authority is, what his finished work produces, what his character is really like, what is ours in him. That's the lesson in this section. I suggest that that is a very simple lesson, but it is a very profound one. I do not for one moment think that any of us have yet really understood what it is to be serving God. Well, there it is. Well, there are just one or two other things before we close um, this evening. We ought to note, I think, and this is a lovely thing and a very comforting thing, that, the, that throughout this section of Mark, we see the authority of Christ, the compassion of Christ, and the availability of Christ as God's servant everywhere. Doesn't matter where we look. Uh, in the notes, I hope you'll find a whole lot of references to that. But if you look through this, you cannot fail to know. For instance, just take that case where, where the little girl was raised from the dead. It's the Lord Jesus who, taking her by the hand, when the rest were so overcome they couldn't say anything, said to them, give her something to eat. What a, a compassionate thought that is. And then again, there's this um, uh, this uh, lady who who shouldn't uh, whose very touch meant that you were defiled, according to the law of God, and yet the Lord didn't mind. Or uh, uh, there is um, uh, again the dead child. Death was also defiling. The Lord took her by the hand. Oh, we've got it everywhere. It doesn't matter where we look. Authority. The way he spoke to the winds and the waves, uh, uh, the way he spoke to the dead girl, and she immediately rose up. Uh, there's authority everywhere throughout this. The way he just took the five loaves and, and the two fishes and gave thanks and blessed them and broke them and out it went till everyone was fed. There's authority on every page of this section. There's compassion on every page. The way the Lord took the blind man by the hand out. It's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus leading a man hand in hand out of the village. It's a, a lovely picture of compassionate service. There's nothing distant, nothing aloof, nothing just uh, professional in this, nothing even divinely correct. There's something warm and involved and sympathetic and sensitive breathing throughout um, this section in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course there are many other instances. Well, you'll find those in the note. In the note. What I want to say is this. 
Christ was seeking to teach his disciples that that's the only kind of character that can serve. Now I say this against myself as much as to you. Not only must there be authority in service, but there must be compassion. Not naivety and not sentimentality. Not dumb stupidity that can be taken in by anything or anyone. But compassion. Sacrificial service. Availability. A readiness to be available. Always. I say that that's why the Lord Jesus was putting his finger upon relationship to himself. What he was really saying to these disciples is, you heard my call, you followed. I appointed you and you gloried in it. You've gone out here and there and you've seen great works and mighty acts. But I want you to understand, no one can serve the Lord. No one can share my service who does not only know my authority but my compassion and be as available as I am. Now there is another lesson for us out of this that comes out of it. It's this. Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday. Now this is wonderful. He is precisely and gloriously the same today as he was yesterday. That is, he has got as much authority today as he had yesterday, if not more. He is the one who is anointed to meet us in all our need. That's tremendous. It means that he can still touch death and bring life. He can still cast out demons. He can still heal. He can still break bonds. He can still strike off the fetters and the chains. The Lord Jesus is the one who was not only anointed when he walked on earth to do these things, but he is the one who is anointed at the right hand of God the Father to do these very things on earth still through his body. He is the same today as he was yesterday and forever. But listen, here's a point. You may all think, oh, well, it's a marvelous thing to have such, a, such authority. Now, know the Lord Jesus has got authority. His name is all-powerful. The name of Jesus. But uh, it is even more wonderful to realize that just the Lord Jesus has not changed one single from what he was in compassion. It is the same Jesus on the throne as lifted the little girl up, who said, feed her, who led the blind man by the hand out of the vi village, who stretched forth his hand and touched the leper and said, I want to be clean. It's the same Jesus. Sing to that dear child of God. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, he's not aloof, he's not distant, he's not detached, he's not indifferent. He's, he's compassionate, still sensitive, as sensitive as ever, as tender as ever, as compassionate as ever, as, as sympathetic as ever. You'll find that everywhere in Scripture, especially in Hebrews, where it says, coming to a great high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. So that we can have boldness. And do you know another wonderful thing? 
He's as, a, as available now as he was then. Just as the Lord's life was one long life of incessant service, it is tonight. He ever liveth to make intercession. He never stops. Available. Having boldness, brethren, to enter into the host by the blood of Jesus. Availability. He's absolutely available. I say that that's a marvellous lesson to learn. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, if you and I are going to serve him, we have got to know something of his authority. We've got to know something of the anointing. We've got to know something of a heart of love. And we've got to know something of a spirit of sacrifice. And lastly, the very last lesson is this. We need to be very, very careful in all our service to be in living, sensitive touch with Christ. Well, of course, you'll say, well, you've said that all the way through. Right, but just wait. We need to note very carefully the miracles in this section. Mark has brought a whole selection together. They are so different. They are so different. One case, that man of extreme demon possession, why well, he ran up to the Lord and the devils cried out. And another case, he didn't even see the little girl. He just said to the, to the mother, the unclean spirit has left her. In one case, he could say to a blind person, receive your sight, and it was done just like that. In another case, he went through a whole uh, series of actions. He spat on his eyes. He laid his hands on them. Some cases were immediate, instantaneous. Other cases were longer, more complex. Now, what does this all mean? Some cases, he spoke a word, it was done. Some cases, he didn't even speak a word. Sometimes he touched people. Sometimes people touched him. Sometimes he put his finger on faith. Other times, there seemed to be no faith. Now, what is all this? What is all this? It's a tremendous lesson. I think the easiest thing to do in the service of God is to be doctrinaire. To evolve formulas, methods, techniques, when our formula is Jesus Christ. Our technique is Jesus Christ himself. Our method is Jesus Christ himself. In other words, we've got to be in sensitive living touch with him. Because the Lord takes every case as it comes. Every case as it comes. You, you must note this carefully. This man who was deaf and dumb, for instance, the Lord Jesus went through very old Jewish me medical practices. Well, why? Because they couldn't save him. They couldn't heal him. The Lord divinely healed him. It, it was a miracle of the very first order. But why did the Lord go through those old Jewish practices? I mean, we could well say, Lord, don't do that. That's going to mislead people in the centuries to come. Do that kind of thing. But the Lord, what the Lord was trying to say to us is this. Keep in touch with me. 
keep in touch. I have one way of doing it in one person, another way of doing it in another. But I am the Lord that healeth thee. Keep in touch with me. There's some tremendous lessons there for us to learn. I think sometimes we can look at these things and so spiritualize them that uh, the real uh, power of it all, the real dynamic of it all can go right out. When I say spiritualized, I mean wrongly spiritualized. It was an actual storm and it was actual winds and waves that were calm. It was actual bread and fish that were multiplied and it was actual mouths that ate and stomachs that were filled. It was actual death and deafness and dumbness that was healed, actual blindness, literally, that was turned to sight. It was true demon possession that was, that he delivered from. Let's never forget that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is absolutely supreme, Lord of all, over the elements, over spirits, over our bodies, over everything else. If we only keep in living relationship with him, he can lead us through it all. The word of the Lord in this, as has been all the way through this gospel, is follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Shall we? Dear Lord, we do just commit this study into thy hands and we do pray, Lord, that thou wilt bring every one of us to a real discovery of thyself, not just as Saviour, not even as Lord only, tremendous as that is, but as life and all. O oh Lord, we pray that we may be those who behold the Lord continually and follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.